Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG and online. We're at kpcg.fm with a live link at thetrumpet.com. Coming up on this Tuesday edition, quite a few headlines to look at, including another data breach from a major company. You may have some of your uh, uh, information uh, leaked out there. We'll have details about that. Also, some really bizarre classes at uh, some universities that are being offered. You... uh, We'll probably believe it, but it is still shocking. That and a lot more coming up on this edition of Trumper Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here live on Trumpet Radio 101.3 KPCG and online at the uh, trumpet.com and kpcg.fm. Dwight Falk and Gino Chi with you here on a Tuesday, an extremely windy Tuesday in Oklahoma. We're used to wind here, but today today is extremely windy. I can always tell because in this uh, radio studio on the second floor, when the wind gets going, you can feel the, you can hear the building move a little bit, and uh, I can hear it today. <laughs> yeah, the building's not aerodynamic, so <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's sort of a it's a big rectangle. Mm-hmm. The wind hits it, and you can feel it shifting around. So we have quite a windy uh, day here. Uh, we uh, have quite a few stories to look at today. Uh, last night, the uh, Villanova what, Wildcats, I believe it is, beat the Michigan Wolverines in a battle of the cats. Mm-hmm. Uh, if a wolf, I guess a Wolverine's sort of like a cat. Uh, in any event, Villanova won, and so you were hoping the underdog would win, but yep. they did not. They didn't. Yeah, it's it's sad, but that's that's how it is. That's 50, why they fifty. That's why they were the underdog because <laughs> they weren't supposed to win. So anyway, that was last night. And uh, in relation to sports, uh, the sports note here: uh, this time of year, they have all these NFL uh, draft combines and so forth, where they want to see how fast people can run, how high they can jump, and all these other things. And then they also interview them. Uh, different coaches will go interview players, prospective uh, players for their teams. And uh, sort of uh, infamously, they'll ask bizarre questions. Like you never know what question they're going to ask you to try to, to throw you off. Uh, have you ever had that happen where you've gone in for a job and they've asked you something that you thought was a little strange? I haven't actually, but I've heard several stories of people asking different questions just tricky questions to just pick your mind i don't know what their intent is but it's it's definitely entertaining to to uh get to know those questions yeah i actually i think the first job i ever applied for was at a grocery store and i didn't think it would be that big of a deal i thought it'd be easy mm-hmm. to get the job which i didn't get <laughs> but I, I part of it i think was the interview and they said uh what's your biggest weakness I thought, mm. what kind of a question is that? Right. I don't know. I'm just trying to work at a grocery <laughs> store. But anyway, they didn't hire me. Well, the NFL, they have some interesting questions too. And this one says that an NFL coach asks a draft prospect, uh, or I guess any draft prospect, what they would do if he punched them in the face right at that moment. <laughs> what do you answer to that question? It's, oh, well, how, how do you answer? How do you respond? It is a tricky question because you'd say, well, first of all, it would surprise you. 
the person that might be employing you is mm. just threatened to punch you in the mm. face. But then you, I guess you'd think, well, should I show like that I'm a fighter? Should I show that I'm, I have a good attitude and I'm going to get along with people and I'm not right. contentious? So it, it would be, uh, it would make you pause for a little bit, I think, mm-hmm. before you answered. Uh, do you know what they're looking for? What the answer is? Like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll punch back. Or yeah, in this case, that's what the coach said. He wanted to hear that the uh, player would fight back. He wanted hmm. to know they were tough and they weren't going to back down from anybody. But uh, you know, you could have a variety of coaches ask that question, and they might be looking for different answers. Because sometimes you'll hear also about players that get into fights in practice, and they're just they're tough to get along with, hmm. and nobody wants them on the team. So you could go that way with it too. In this particular case, the coach wanted uh, wanted the guy to fight him, but it was all hypothetical. No one <laughs> no. was punching anyone, as far as I know, which is smart for the coach because those players are big. Yeah, there's a a good level of competitiveness and fighting spirit in terms of sports. So I think yeah, it's it's scary to to find that balance. But it reminds me of well, Adam Iverson didn't fight, but. He also didn't get, get along with his teammates. I remember this interview uh, where he was ranting about practice. And yes. I can't forget it. Every time uh, I play bas- basketball, well, not every time, but I always think about that. Practice? Who needs practice? And that's right. <laughs> yeah, Alan, he, that's a very infamous uh, interview mm. that he said. He didn't want to practice, but he played hard. <laughs> Some people have even turned that into a song, actually. But oh. anyway. It's on YouTube. <laughs> they just remixed it. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of an interesting question for a job interview. Uh, here's a note about gas prices. Uh, some pain at the pump, potentially. It's going to be more expensive. Gas companies are changing over to a different uh, summer blend, which they do every year. And, of course, so to do that, some refineries shut down, leading to the classic market principle of supply and demand. A tighter supply means that they can demand more for your fuel, I always hate that because it seems like they made the crisis and now we have to pay for it. Right. You, you know summer's coming. Yeah, why should I have to pay more <laughs> for this? It happens every year. Yeah, they're, they're probably just trying to make money, more money. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They they say also, though, demand is up because people are driving more and the crude oil prices are up $15 per barrel mm-hmm. compared to this time last year. So this is an interesting note because... Uh, you know, we'll hear about the the price of uh, oil per barrel and how how much it's gone up or down, and you never quite I never quite understood how that related price wise to us. I knew it affected it somewhat, but they say every time crude oil prices rise a dollar, consumers will pay roughly two point four cents more per mm. gallon. Wow! So that's whenever you hear that oil's up so much, you can do the math there and roughly estimate that for every dollar. The crude oil goes up per barrel. You'll have to pay two point four cents more mm-hmm. per gallon. I didn't know that those were the numbers. So, the interesting thing, though, it seems like when the prices drop, it takes a while for the gas prices to come down. However, as soon as the crude oil goes up, it, it seems like it's an instantaneous <laughs> rise at the pump. Yeah, it's it's funny to see um, gas stations do their price war because you have you know in America there's uh, gas stations from each side it's very hard to to pick which one and usually the price is the the one you choose so you see the other gas station lower their price and then after an hour they lower their price and it's kind of like a price war mm-hmm. which is good for for the consumer because they lower the price 
but they're so reluctant to yeah. uh, lower it. <laughs> well, yeah, the, it is good that they have competition in that way or else you could really get gouged. You know, people could really raise prices. And it is always interesting when you see a, a gas station that's long abandoned, but the sign is still up with the old price for whatever mm-hmm. gas was at that time. Mm-hmm. It usually gives you an indication of when they went out of business because <laughs> <laughs> where those prices are. So uh, it's been it's been lower here recently, which has been nice. I, the lowest I remember in my lifetime was um, uh, was probably about eighty nine cents or something wow. like that per that gallon. Low, yeah. That would have been back in the <laughs> that would have been back in the nineties, and that was mm. in Oklahoma. Mm. So I don't. Uh, it, I'm sure obviously it's been lower than that, but that's the lowest I recall. It's not dropped under a dollar in a mm-hmm. long, long time. Yeah, according to this Bloomberg report I, I saw, um, U.S. is number 12 in the affordability um, scale of gasoline. So it's an average of 285 per gallon. And the most uh, affordable country to have gasoline is Venezuela. It's uh, one, cents, one cent per gallon. Wow. That's interesting. <laughs> I wouldn't mind those prices. Yeah. Obviously, there's a lot of economic problems in mm-hmm. Venezuela, so that one cent might be hard to come by. Mm-hmm. I wonder why that That's is. True. They just don't have as many drivers Probably. or a lot of supply. Yeah, number two is Saudi to 91 mm. uh, cents. So that makes sense because they have all the oil there at yeah. their disposal. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, I saw a headline about uh, the Saudi Arabian prince coming over to the U.S. and he's renting out the entire Ritz Carlton, I believe it is. Wow, and one of those swanky hotels. <laughs> uh, he's just gonna rent out the whole thing. So they have plenty of oil money, and they they like to spend it. <laughs> There's also been problems in Los Angeles over the years with some of the the rich uh, Middle Eastern playboys, as you'd call them, coming over and uh, and uh, buying homes just for vacation. They didn't want to bother renting, so they just bought it. That's how much money they have. Yeah, their their options are unlimited. If you have that much money, I even uh, saw an article about Jack Ma. You know him, mm-hmm. the the founder of Alibaba. Anyways, he made his own kung fu uh, film um, where he fights twelve well known uh, actors or kung fu martial artists. So there's Jet Li there, there's Jackie Chan, and all these um, well known <laughs> kung fu martial artists, uh, and He's the main guy, of course. <laughs> wow. So, wow. So he, wow. So he, so he made, he bought, uh, I guess he paid for everyone, and he, he has a kung fu movie himself. Wow. That's uh, fascinating. That's quite a vanity project. Yeah. Uh, wow. I've never heard of anyone making a movie that they star in. I mean, unless they were trying, they were an actor, and they were trying to, you know, be like an actor-director, but... Yeah, who would think... I guess if you just have unlimited money at your disposal, you start thinking about, like, huh... You know what? What would I like to do? And uh, in his case, he wanted <laughs> wanted his own kung fu movie. Yeah, I guess for him, you know, he's achieved so much that he probably is bored mm-hmm. uh, for the normal he- consumer. That's like, oh, I want to save money so that I can retire and go on on a nice vacation with my wife or family, something like that. But him, he has everything. So what would you do with that amount of money? I guess make a kung fu film would <laughs> would wow. be one. Wow, well, that probably is an indication that we don't need a lot of money because we would just do some really silly things with it. (laughs) Wow, that's really interesting. Uh, Here's a note uh, that a listener sent in. They alerted us to this story, and you can send uh, any comments to uh, comments at kpcg.fm. We appreciate that. Uh, Many people like to eat at Panera Bread occasionally. Delicious sandwiches and soups. 
They're, they're not a sponsor of the program. <laughs> I just threw that out there. Although they have made some changes over the years that I don't like, but that's mm-hmm. another story. Uh, Panera Bread left millions of customer records exposed on the web. They say add another big name brand to the list of those who've left customer data exposed online. Thanks to security researcher Dylan uh, Houlihan, uh, he discovered that Panera Bread left millions of customer sign-up records, possibly 37 million, in plain text on its website, <laughs> including email addresses, home addresses, phone numbers, and loyalty account numbers. Thankfully, no payment info, but uh, it would have been easy, they say, for evildoers to harvest that information mm-hmm. and use it as part of identity fraud or spam campaigns. The data was left unsecured for about eight months. Wow. So, Wow. Our information is just floating around out there. Yeah, it's a long time. You would think with such a big company as Panera, they would have at least one guy working to secure uh, their files. Mm. And as you said, plain text. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, even for somebody like me, I would probably recognize that. Like, hey, wait a second. This is, look, what, look at this information. They say this just underscores a recurring problem with internet security. Numerous companies have failed to encrypt data or otherwise abide by basic security policies, although there's no guarantees that looking down, uh, locking down data will prevent breaches. It beats welcoming thieves with open arms, they say. Mm-hmm. And so it's probably like any industry. People know there's probably, there, there, there are uh, standard practices that they should do, but they, maybe they don't do them. Mm-hmm. You know, you that happens in construction sometimes. Right. You know, you should do such and such to make it a secure, you know, building, but sometimes people cut corners. And I don't know if that's what happened here, but uh, it seems like whether they're cutting corners on purpose or they just didn't know what to do, um, they left a lot of data up there for eight months. So, you know, it's interesting, too, in this age of uh, data theft and hacking and uh, people's, you know, uh, our apps listening to us potentially. Mm. They have developed something new that uh, uh, maybe somebody would want to get. This seems like a bad idea to me, but you can buy a smart mirror. A smart mirror. Put it in your bathroom. Basically, it's it's your mirror, but then they it's a monitor that has a, a mirror over it, and so it can be on the side. So mm-hmm. you can use the mirror as a normal mirror, but then you can look over to the side and you can say, watch YouTube videos, you can have oh, it boy. update the weather for you. So they reviewed it. It still isn't great. It's not working as well as they would like because people are smudging the mirror with their fingers. Mm. But but I was just thinking about how, you know, there, there's a lot of debate about whether smartphones are watching us and listening to us mm. and all of this. Do, do you want that device in your mirror in your bathroom? With if, What if it has, does it have a camera on it? I, I don't want I don't want that device sitting there looking at me for a variety of reasons, uh, but uh, the older generation that reviewed it said it's frivolous and then <laughs> there's no point in it. But the younger generation seems to be a little more mm-hmm. on board with the uh, smart mirror. Yeah, I think it's it's dangerous to say the least because of the trend that's been going on with, like you said, the apps watching you. They know what you want to buy, what where you go to eat. They know everything about you, so it would be just so simple to hack that device whatever it is i this is the first time i've heard of it yeah and i just don't see the point of having that device in your bathroom i mean um i don't know you, you just go in and shower and do your thing and then go out <laughs> that's yeah that's what the older older generation was saying like what's the point i mean mm-hmm. if i if i need to know something that badly i can just 
wait till I get out of the restroom or mm-hmm. I could, you know, do something different. Um, I was thinking it brings new meaning to that old nursery rhyme, right? Of mirror, mirror <laughs> on the wall. Yeah. Who's the most beautiful of them oh, all? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> now the smart mirror will tell you. And maybe if it goes on the restaurants, you can ask that. It has, like, maybe Alexa or Siri. And then right. what if it actually tells you honestly who the, the most fair is of all? Then that'd be funny. That's right. Yeah, it would be discouraging, <laughs> I guess, unless you're that person. Then yeah. it would be very encouraging. And you'd want everyone to ask, hey, make sure you ask. And there, right. <laughs> there's a couple of uh, stories out of some of the uh, co- college campuses here in the U.S. Um, highlights just this, really, uh, this attack against uh, uh, whites in this country. Uh, it says, uh, this is from campusreform.org. It says, students earn credit for attending white privilege conference. Maybe you've heard about this movement, sort of this uh, idea of white privilege that, uh, well, it's sort of ambiguous, I guess, if you're white then you're just more privileged than other people, and uh, therefore it puts you in sort of this odd category. It says students at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, can earn up to three academic credits through a course that requires them to attend the annual White Privilege Conference. You'd think that would be a conference uh, for white people, but (laughs) it's not really. Mm -hmm. It says the the credits can be applied toward the school's graduate certificate in diversity, social justice, and inclusion, I don't know how much that pays if you get a degree in that, but uh, I don't know. You can, uh, they take courses such as unmasking whiteness and social health justice. It says, though the course description is brief, the White Privilege Conference is well known as an annual conference dedicated to deconstructing white privilege, promoting social justice advocacy, and elevating strategies for white people to promote racial justice. Students in the Intersections of Privilege class can choose from among more than 100 individual workshops during their four-day sojourn, including Breaking the Chains of Capitalism and White Supremacy and The Whiteness of Law and another on How Whiteness Kills. Those are pretty provocative classes. I I think that's going to stir up a lot of hatred against white people. It's funny how they advocate for race justice, and yet... Just reading the titles of these classes they uh, they put up, it's pretty much very racist, actually, on a, a specific color of, of race. Yeah, absolutely mm-hmm. it is. And you think about the um, chains of capitalism and white supremacy mm-hmm. or the whiteness of law. See, mm-hmm. that that's, uh, I guess, I'm assuming it's pushing the notion that the law only benefits whites when mm. really the country... You well, originally it was supposed to be set up on the rule of law that no matter who you are, uh, the law is the law for everyone, and uh, and then of course how whiteness kills that's a very volatile name. You, I mean you wouldn't it, it just <laughs> evokes all kinds of uh, negative thoughts there, but um, yeah, it is really a shame because no matter what race a person is, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, you and there's nothing wrong with it. Right. But when they start trying to get into all of this, uh, if you walked into, a, say, a workshop like this, like just like you mm-hmm. pointed out, and it's supposed to cause uh, equality, what's the first thing you'd notice? The race of everybody mm-hmm. there. And so instantly you're automatically uh, much more focused on that than you would be if you were just walking down the street. Right. And I have to say, America has given so much opportunities for not just the whites but everyone for um legal migrants and 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 students including me um there's not i don't see it and it's funny how the media and and 
just universities push this idea that they're being attacked by by a specific race when it's in fact it's it's not the case they're i feel like they're just trying to blame something for uh, and uh, something that happened to them because they don't want to look at themselves <laughs> something uh it's, it's obviously um well if you understand the history of the united mm-hmm. states and how it, it is israel modern israel really uh, there is a satanic attack against the country. And now that sounds, you know, different if, if people haven't heard that before. But America under attack gets into that and, and really shows where all this is coming from. It's really it's really designed to hurt the, the nation in general. And that, that will include everybody, mm-hmm. you know. Right. It might start out by attacking the the whites or whatever, but, but it ends up hurting everybody in the country. Right. And it goes back to being offended. I have this story <laughs> just yesterday. It happened yesterday. I was uh, getting my passport photo taken, so I went to Walgreens, and a lady before me was ta- getting her picture taken. And this guy was saying, oh, don't squint. You know, don't squint. Um, I need to see your eyes. Oh, right. And then <laughs> it was my turn. You know, I'm Asian. I'm, yeah. I have a smaller eyes. And the lady said, yeah, don't squint. And she didn't mean anything about it. She just said, yeah, that's what the photographer told me. Right. And I said, yeah, that's going to be hard for me. And, uh, you know, it's just how it is. If you're yellow, white, black, there's specific um, characteristics that you have. And if someone says, I'm yellow, yes, I'm yellow. I have small eyes. So that's, yeah, what's wrong with <laughs> right. that? Like, I'm not offended. They're just stating the facts. But it seems like uh, that's being used for an agenda. It's like, oh, how dare you call me yellow? And then, or something like that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if it's a great point. I mean, if you're looking to be offended you can find something mm-hmm. i mean everybody can but if you're if you're not looking for it <laughs> then it's it's pretty rare and obviously like from that example she didn't even think about it right and it you know it's, it's actually a little bit humorous <laughs> yeah but you could be offended you know? she was taken aback by my comments and i was just like yeah I, I, i'm like here in college here in our college on campus we have different races uh all throughout blacks whites yellows mm-hmm. and hispanics and we we all get along together. We're not offended at all by, you know, comments like that. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. I just think the, the they are really the media and some of these college classes are really trying to separate everybody. Mm-hmm. So you just really look at the other races, and um, I mean, just I think most people, um, and myself personally, like you said, there's a lot of different races here, and I don't look at, I don't see somebody and think, oh, there's that race. I think, mm. oh, there's Gino. Right. Oh, there's, you know, so-and-so. Yeah. That's who they, that's who they are, and they happen to be a race. Mm-hmm. Or it would be the same if you broke it down by um, the sexes or, right. or age. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we're all different. We're all at different uh, stages of life and different people. And, and if you sit there and just want to break it down and, like, really look at all these different groups, um, then it becomes very divisive as right. opposed to just... Uh, focusing on the, while well, they talk about the the law, we'll focus on what is the law, which we would look at God's law and uh, strive to live that way. And that law dictates that you treat everybody with love and respect. Mm-hmm. And if it were striving to follow that law, then all that other stuff, um, you know, not that people are perfect, they might make mistakes, mm-hmm. but I think if both people say, you know, like your example yesterday, if people are not trying to be offended or and they're not trying to offend, then everybody gets along pretty well. Right. If you go into a meeting someone different and of a different race with just no predisposed idea of how they think and whatnot, and they're just, hey, this is just another person like me. 
and you go on and have a conversation, everything would be so much easier. Um, there would be no racial strife, and uh, there's no easy way to solve this racial problem uh, in this country, I guess. No, there's not, other than, I mean, people would have to get back to the law of God, which mm-hmm. people are not willing to do at this point. And even uh, Christianity, as the world would view, it's under attack as well. This is a related story. University event aims to combat Christian privilege. So that's another thing going on. This is at George Washington University. It's going to host a training session for students and faculty that teaches that Christians, especially white ones, <laughs> <da-da, da-da-da-da. laughs> uh, any surprise there, receive unmerited perks from institutions mm-hmm. and systems all across our country. And so that's where you get into the you know, situation where if somebody looks at you and says, you're white, and if you identify as a Christian, then you're automatically, I guess, racist. Even though you haven't done anything, maybe, mm. but, well, you're, uh, the institutions favor you, therefore you're at fault. It, it, it gets to be indefensible. You can't defend yourself because you're lumped in with a group and you haven't done anything, maybe. Yes, they're already... Uh, have it in their mind that you are guilty or you have yeah. this thing that you have. So whatever argument or whatever explanation you have, it just re- goes right through the other <laughs> ear. Right, and then so they're actually doing the thing that they say they're fighting against, which mm-hmm. is labeling everybody based on race or, in this case, right. <laughs> religion. So it's that's the, the, the deceptive part mm-hmm. about it, I guess. Uh, this April 5th diversity workshop is titled Christian Privilege, but our founding, but our founding fathers were all Christian, right? Question mark exclamation point. <laughs> sort of a confusing title. It's hosted by a university's multicultural student services center. The event will teach that Christians enjoy a privileged, easier life than their non-Christian counterparts, and that Christians possess possess built-in advantages today. The workshop will also discuss how Christians receive unmerited perks from institutions. Uh, the Christian Privilege Workshop is one of 15 free training opportunities offered through the center to equip students and staff with the necessary skills to promote diversity and inclusion in the different environments. So let's let's have inclusion, but let's talk about how we hate those white Christians. <laughs> and let's include everybody else, I guess. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Other workshops offered uh, through the center focus on heterosexual privilege, cisgender privilege, abled-bodied privilege, as opposed to being handicapped, <laughs> socioeconomic privilege, unconscious bias, and more. Can you imagine being accused of unconscious bias? What? Could you do that when you're sleeping? Mm, oh, boy. <laughs> that's Man, there's, they're, they're just putting the word privilege in everything. Mm-hmm. So everything you do has a meaning. <laughs> well, like, well, I'm... Yeah. I'm a little bit taller than you are, mm-hmm. so I'm height privileged, I guess. <laughs> or yeah. conversely, maybe you're height privileged because maybe it's better to not be tall. Like, I don't know which way it would oh, go. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, maybe are you being unconsciously biased towards me? <laughs> I think I am. Yes, I think you're right. It, you it, once you start getting into this, I mean, you can you can boy, you can really just have a field day, I guess, with just bizarre accusations yeah. and divisions and and hatreds and you have more hair than me quite a bit so <laughs> you're hair privileged I, I didn't say anything there <laughs> well that's true consciously i yeah <laughs> but you thought it i know you thought it we uh, should have a class on uh this kinds of privileges oh well you could you could always make something up you know if you're a professor teaching this sort of thing 
you can always find something to be upset about to teach another right. class. You know, it's sometimes it's interesting when you look at these college classes or workshops and you just think, you know, do they, do they just sitting around thinking, oh, I need to teach a class and make some money. How about, <laughs> uh, because there's no value to these things. Actually, really what it is is it's just brainwashing. I mean, mm. this is not a skill. They're not teaching you mathematics <clears throat> or a language or engineering. They're just brainwashing you with their ideas and, and some apparently are paying money for this. Yeah, if people just stop and think about other nations that actually have, you know, some social barriers. Yeah, uh, some nations actually have the system where, uh, the caste system, for example, where it limits where you can go in life. If you're born in that lower caste, you'll stay there. You can't go up. Um, you forever remain there. And um, I think with just a little bit of thought and uh, maybe meditation, um, people can can just see, oh, wow, I'm very privileged here. Everyone in America is privileged. Uh, I'm so happy to be in America rather than in those under other countries that have it tougher. And um, in most cases, uh, the migrants, the legal migrants are so thankful. I think we have a, had a conversation about this yesterday. Yeah. About they're just happy to be here because there's so many opportunities that are given to them that wouldn't have been possible um, in their own country. Yeah. And, you know, that's a it's a great thing to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, certain privileges, mm-hmm. <laughs> as long as they're they're good and they're used the right way. Um, but th- what they're trying to get into with some of these uh, classes here is uh, they want to um, uh, have people understand. They want them to be able to name at least three examples of Christian privilege, and at least three ways to be an ally with non-Christian person. <laughs> the website states so that's their goal. Organizers also want the participants to be able to describe words like privilege. Christian privilege, denial, quality, equity, Christianity, bias, unconscious bias, microaggression, ally. So you can go in there. And, of course, what they're really getting at here is they are attacking uh, anything that would get even remotely back to, say, the Bible. Now, when they're talking about Christianity, they're not understanding true Christianity, but still— I think you can see more of this from what they say here. They say this uh, uh, workshop or or class is dedicated to ensuring that all types of diversity at George Washington University are celebrated Mm -hmm. and meant to feel included in campus cultural and student life. And, of course, uh, the person is a proud gay member of the LGBT community. They're promoting that uh, solidarity. Mm -hmm. So that's really what it's getting down to. When they start talking about Christianity, the thing that really sticks in their craw is that if you look at the Bible honestly, it teaches against homosexuality. Right. But they are homosexuals. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think they're going to come out right now and directly have a a class directly hitting that point. Mm-hmm. But if you want to get down to the root of it, that's where their disagreement is. They don't like the biblical uh, model of the family. And that's what they were, they're trying to dismantle. Right. I guess they're attacking the institution without directly attacking it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, if you read the Bible, clearly it states there for, for anyone who has the Bible. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so I know that's not the most popular thing, but mm-hmm. that's that's what they're going after. So they're trying to de- uh, really destroy the Bible, I think, and uh, doing it by just saying, well, you know, you're privileged and you're you're, you're repressing us. And mm-hmm. oppressing us, right? 
So anyway, uh, <laughs> my hope is that not a lot of people would waste their time on these types of classes, right. but uh, they are out there and they're being offered. A lot of times they're being offered maybe not in this blunt of a way, but you'll get a lot of this teaching in, in a variety of classes. Yeah, it's funny how they don't uh, address other religions that have the same ideas of Christianity. Like, for example, Islam, uh, they don't address that because they know they'll get flack for it. Yeah. And, yeah, it's it's double standard, I guess. That's a, that's a tremendous point because here they're talking about trying to befriend non-Christians or whatever, and they're really attacking Christianity, but yet they're also saying they want everybody to be included. Well, if you want to look at the Islamic side of it, mm-hmm. Islam doesn't include Christianity. Right. They they fight against it. Islam doesn't uh, embrace homosexuality, right. not at least publicly. Um, and so that's where it starts getting odd uh, for all of these uh, uh, very radical left ideas, I guess, is that they they contradict each other. Right, yeah. And uh, it'd be interesting to see them try to explain it. I mean, I guess I really wouldn't want to because it'd just be <laughs> a lot of information I wouldn't want to hear. Mm-hmm. But but how, how do you reconcile it? It gets very murky very quickly. I mean, what do you believe? What do you not believe? And what is it based on? Yeah, if you just lay out the facts and say uh, all, all the, I guess, lay out the facts, um, it, it's very clear. I mean, the women in Islamic countries are not equal to the men. Why don't they talk about that? Um, I think if you are going to have an argument with a person like that, they'll just burst out in emotions and then you'll get lambasted for it and uh, there's nothing you can say. And you won't be covered by the media too. So they'll get full coverage on their ideas and you'll be shut down. Yeah, it's not worth uh, (laughs) getting into an argument about it. But certainly uh, it it is good for people to stop and look at some of these Mm -hmm. things and say, okay, where's all this coming from? And then get back to the the core of the Bible, what the Bible mm-hmm. teaches, because as Christ says, you know, I mean, uh, we do need the truth, and the truth is what makes us free mm-hmm. from confusion and from all of this, and so you need to get to the truth of it, and and that's where it comes from. So there, again, there's a great book at thetrumpet.com on America under attack, and it, it's, America's being attacked in different ways and from different angles, but um, it has one basic source, so make sure you check out that book. They're at thetrumpet.com. This is an interesting story in relation to the uh, U.S. gun debate that continues to rage here. Uh, You know, people get killed sometimes by things that are not guns. (laughs) This is from the AFP. London murder rate overtakes New York as stabbings surge. Mm. They've had stabbings there, quite a few. A surge of stabbings in London was blamed Monday for the city overtaking New York's monthly murder tally for the first time in modern history. So here we got all these guns here, but yet the uh, there's stabbings going on over there. Fifteen people were murdered in London during February compared to 14 in New York. The British capital also suffered 22 fatal stabbings and shootings in March, higher than the 21 in New York. So they do have some gun violence as well. Uh, there have been 10 fatal stabbings in London in the past 19 days, following on from the 80 fatal stabbings recorded in the city last year. So they're having quite a bit of uh, violence there. London's murder rate has grown by nearly 40% in three years. Wow. And uh, they don't really get into where that violence is coming mm-hmm. from, but you got a lot of people mixing in there, a lot of multiculturalism mm-hmm. right. going on, and um, it would be interesting to see where those numbers come from exactly. Right. If I was just thinking 
if those were Christians, they would get pointed out, but um, they don't say. They just keep it vague. Yeah. Don't give the exact uh, the who's doing it, and I'm sure it's a variety of people and situations, but uh, I just thought it was interesting because you know uh we've we've even we saw that happen in uh China a while back you remember there was that terror attack where a man started stabbing a bunch of people mm-hmm. um it's it's the people that are the problems right more so than anything else and we all have knives in our house to eat dinner with and things right. like that uh and we don't worry in most cases about it being used as a weapon mm-hmm. but it could be you know you there's lots of things that could be used as a weapon uh and so when they're debating all these different things about guns, I mean, how they need more debate about just what's causing people to uh, to uh, have these problems where they want to go out and kill people, whether it's with a knife or with a gun or whatever else. And uh, when they do try to look at that, they usually try to go back to mental health. But, y- you know, you have to go further than that and say, well, what are the people's family life like? Mm, like, where did they go. grow up? How? What caused a person to become this way? Even with the Parkland shooter, there was a great trumpet hour on that where uh, uh, Joel Hilliker went through that and looked at not only the failings in the the school system leading up to the shooting, but some of the upbringing. Because people aren't born just to go out and do these things. Something's happening in their lives, and uh, that's where more of the focus needs to be on on, uh, fixing those issues in in their uh, upbringing. Yeah, they really don't look at the cause of the effect. They just deal with, they just blame it on something that doesn't have a mind. Like you said, the guns. It's not the guns that shoot people. It's the people (laughs) who shoot the guns, uh, injuring people. And I read this article in The Atlantic. Um, It just talks about, you know, in Switzerland, uh, they have have guns. They have a lot of guns. (laughs) But their murder rate or their homicide rate is very low for that amount of guns. Um, uh, here, uh, a guy, Herman Sutter, uh, who at the time was vice president of Swiss Gun Rights uh, Group, says, it is a question of trust between the state and the citizen. The citizen is not just a citizen, he is also a soldier. And then he says, quote, the gun at home is the best way to avoid dictatorship. Only dictators take arms away from citizens. So if you know the history of uh, the Swiss, they needed guns to you know, protect themselves. And I guess there's an agenda here behind here too, mm. uh, behind that gun control issue. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you can look at the America Under Attack book again. I mean, that just highlights some of the major problems in the country. And uh, that's a really good point that he brings up. Uh, you know, if you if you know, say, your neighbor and you trust your neighbor, then you're not going to be as concerned if they have a gun or whatever. I mm-hmm. mean, a lot of people do, and they use it for target practice right. or hunting, or they just like to have it for protection, whatever their case may be. Uh, you know, but if you know them, you don't worry about it. It, But there are some people that are a bigger concern, mm-hmm. not just because they have a gun, but because of their lifestyle, the way they live. And like he points out, I mean, if people are living in a way where there is a certain trust, then you, you really wouldn't have those types of uh Issues, but right. but in our country today, um, it's not the same as it it has been. I mean, there is there is uh, well, there's just more law breaking on a higher level. Not to say it was ever you know perfect, but mm-hmm. but certainly uh, it's become um, 
uh, a situation where the families have deteriorated so much more so than in the past. And so you have people that are very distraught because of that and sometimes act out in terrible ways. Right. Even talks about uh, the Swiss children as young as 12 are taught how to shoot as well as the rules of the gun safety of gun safety and are encouraged to participate in highly popular target shooting competitions. So children as young as 12, uh, 12 are learning how to shoot and they have their own weapons. And you have to ask yourself, why is it just in America? What's happening here? And the article goes on to show where they just have a, a stricter background check when buying uh, guns. And uh, yeah, it's not the guns that cause the problems like you said it probably goes back it definitely goes back to the families and not having a um a, a dad there in the home yeah when i was growing up i remember uh a lot of my peers they uh had guns it was very very much a part of their upbringing whether it was target practice or a lot of them liked to go hunting and things too and at a certain age they all did gun safety uh, hunter safety that was a big thing and you had to go through the program and uh i think because of their their parents also but they learned to respect mm-hmm. the power of it mm-hmm. it's like driving a car in a way i mean you have to you have to be of you have to respect the power of it mm-hmm. because you could kill yourself right. or you could kill other people with it so uh you know you have to learn to respect uh, the power and use it the right way and be safe with it and for the right purposes so it is really interesting. There's a, a top story actually today at the trumpet.com ties into this uh, gun issue. Uh, it's by uh, Trumpet Daily uh, radio show host Stephen Flurry. March for Our Lives, mm-hmm. Magical Teens or Something Much Bigger. And, and uh, just a couple paragraphs here. He says, just below the surface of this movement lies a much more important dimension that journalists won't talk about. The teenagers are rising up and their parents are not even mentioned. I've noticed that, you know, you, you see these students out there. I don't I don't know who their parents are. Mm-hmm. Um, it says the press is practically drooling over these young people, marveling at how wonderful and smart they are. The idea is now that the youth are taking over, we will finally have change. And he says that's Isaiah 3 incarnate. So if you know the prophecy there, that's a curse <laughs> uh, for our sins, Israel's sins, when the children are the leaders. It says, however, there is another dimension to this story. Although the news reports give the impression that this agenda is driven purely by teens from Parkland and elsewhere, that is not the case. These youths are the face of the movement, Mm -hmm. but someone else is working behind the scenes, organizing the protests and walkouts, advising when, where, and how to apply political pressure and maximizing media coverage. This strong political movement is not the work of a bunch of teenagers working on their own. So you're going to have to read the rest of it to get the full story. That was uh, the teaser there, but it's not spontaneous like the media would like people to believe. Uh, and they, they of course, have gotten a lot of funding, too, from celebrities and others. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, there's definitely, like you said, there's an agenda behind trying to really get rid of guns. Right. There's reports that you can, well, if you just read, Mr. Stephen Flurry's article, he probably goes on to show that there's reports that it's being set up. It's not just actually um, the young people going up there and giving their cause. It's actually a, a, a show. <laughs> yeah, they're being used. And it's it's really interesting because you, you see that in a lot of things. Even, even the stories earlier about, say, some of these university classes and, uh, you know, against uh, whites and against uh, uh, the white Christians, as they would call it. Uh, is that spontaneous 
or is there this movement and this agenda to really flip the country on its head? Right. Because that's what they're doing. If you look at the things they're attacking, family structure, um, uh, white leadership, which has been historically the, the condition of the country, and really, if you read the United States and Britain in prophecy, I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's the way God set it up. And then also, um, you know, guns, which allows people to protect themselves mm-hmm. from, from the uh, government takeover, which right. it's not about deer hunting. <laughs> I mean, that's why that Second Amendment's there. Mm-hmm. And all those pillars are really being attacked. Uh, what happens if they collapse? Well, your country collapses. Yeah. Anarchy, total anarchy. Um, the law is what is holding back the racial... Um, war that's imminent uh, if there's no institutions if those pillars just collapse then what's there to stop them from just doing whatever they want uh, they think that absence of the law is the solution to it but that's that's totally the opposite it is the opposite and I mean just think about the the hatred that that they're stirring up in the country I mean if you're telling if you're telling minorities that it everything that's wrong is the result of white privilege they have everything because they're, you know, they took mm-hmm. it and this and that. Well, what happens, like you say, if the rule of law isn't there anymore right. or, and they feel like, oh, we're going to go get what belongs to mm-hmm. us because they've been told that somebody took it from them and right. they should have it. And now you've got now you've got lots of problems. And, th- and another uh, pillar that's being attacked, of course, is the police, mm-hmm. which would mm-hmm. prevent that type of thing. You You look at some prophecies in Ezekiel and other places, and there's a lot on the trumpet about that including a book a book on Ezekiel, God talks about those types of things happening, and we see all these attacks coming from different different angles but attacking that same uh, structure of the United States government. Yeah, I always try to understand a, a concept through practical ways. One way I think about this situation is I just think about my sport, um, my favorite sport, basketball. It's like, what if there's no rules? What if there's no traveling? What if, what if there's no double dribbling? That'd be the NBA, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's, well, yeah, I guess so. No, I'm kidding. Um, what if there's no respect for authority, like the refs? It's not going to be a game anymore. It's just total, it's not going to be fun. The rules are there because... Uh, there needs to be order and that's what makes the game fun because there are boundaries that you have to stick by and you can just you know shove a person or dribble with two hands or i don't know <laughs> yeah that's a that's a great point i mean because if uh, a- almost anything in life when you have two people or two teams and each one wants something they want to win they want to make the basket they want to prevent you from making the basket and if there are no rules to govern the way it happens it ends in a fight. Right. I mean, I think if anyone that's played that sport has probably seen that on some mm-hmm. level. <clears throat> if you go out to a playground and you get a couple people right. out there that are not willing to follow just the basic civility of, <laughs> right? you know, it ends up in a fight. It doesn't end up in like a shooting contest. Mm-hmm. It ends up in physical violence and who's stronger and who's going to take advantage of the other person. And uh, any any dispute among human beings usually comes down to that, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, the rules make the game, and if we see it in sports, the need for rules, why not in, in our society? And if you just take down all the laws and the rules, it's pretty much the same thing. There's no game. There's no society. There's no nation. It'll just erupt into everyone doing their own thing, and the Bible talks about what that leads to. And that's what a lot of people that are say, supporting some of these radical left ideas are not really considering is that when there's no rule of law, there's no rule of law for anyone. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you'll see sometimes people protesting something and they have police protection to make sure that they can protest. And then sometimes in some cases they're protesting the police. And <laughs> you know, you think you, people would just take a step back and say, wait a second. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for the police protection, I couldn't protest the right. police. Mm-hmm. So maybe I shouldn't protest the police because that's what's guaranteeing that I have, you know, I can do this peacefully without being attacked by somebody. And you see that quite often. Uh, I saw a student, uh, some headlines about a student march the other day. It was, you know, against guns. And they were marching, and they had a police escort. <laughs> and the police had guns. Mm-hmm. And I just That's thought, well, ironic. if if you if you destroy the rule of law, you know, I guess there's some assumption there that somehow people will just all figure it out. But the reality is it's going to be just a, a sort of a, a, you know, smash and dash. People are going to take what they can get and... and 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 you would see that happen. I mean, that happens in the news sometimes where, like, say, uh, the power goes out at a Walmart or something. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there are people that just say, oh, great, and they just steal whatever they can. Mm-hmm. And and you see that happen sometimes after storms and different things. And usually it's contained because the police do show up eventually. But, again, if you start taking away all this, the, the pillars, including the rule of law and the ability to enforce it properly, then then nobody has any protection or safety. Yeah, even the pro- like you said, that was a very good point. The protesters are not going to be protected uh, if they're protesting, and another group is against their their agenda or their their idea. Then it's just anarchy. No one stops it. They don't realize, like you said, that the law, <laughs> even though they're rebelling against it, is actually protecting them from harm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a uh, another note uh, that's uh, a po- positive one, a good one. <laughs> CNN.com says, uh, this is far out. Astronomers discover most distant star ever seen. Every time they look out there further, we just see something else. And it's not aliens. It's more stars. <laughs> Astronomers have, uh, by the way, uh, they, they're sending out this other, I think it's like a, basically it's a telescope, and it's going to see some great things, I think, but they're hoping to find alien life. Like, that's oh the goal of sending <laughs> it out there. So anyway, uh, but in this case, astronomers have spotted the most distant star ever observed that is 9 billion light years from Earth, a new study reported Monday. So if you understand a light year, that's how fast can you go at the speed of light or how far can you go at the speed of light in a year? It's a long ways. Mm. That's a light year. There's 9 billion of these. Wow. It says, for the first time ever... Uh, we're seeing an individual normal star, not a supernova, not a gamma ray burst, but a single stable star at a distance of 9 billion light years, says Alex uh, Filipkenko, an astronomer at the University of California, Berkeley. Uh, the star is nicknamed uh, Icarus after the Greek myth- mythological character that flew too near the sun on wings of feathers and wax and melted. So <laughs> I had to name it after that. Mm-hmm. It says, normally the star would be too faint to view, even with the world's biggest and most powerful telescopes. But through a quirk of nature, as they see it, the tremendously, uh, that tremendously amplifies the star's feeble glow, astronomers using NASA's Hubble Space Telescope were able to pinpoint this faraway star and set a new distance record. It's uh, at least 100 times farther away than the next individual star we can study. Uh, and the method that allowed the star to be spotted is called the gravitational lensing, which is the bending of light by massive galaxy clusters in the line of sight. And the phenomenon can magnify the distant universe and make visible certain objects that are dim and far away. So we used our telescope 
God's got like a built-in telescope. He moved <laughs> in front of our telescope. And uh, so they could see this uh, star that they have named Icarus. Mm-hmm. It's always neat. The further out there that they go, the more they see. But, of course, then at the end of the article, they want to talk about the Big Bang Theory again. Right. Uh, not the TV show, but the, uh, <laughs> the uh, actual scientific yeah. theory. And, uh, you know, just like the the Bible highlights, the heavens do declare God's glory, and yet mm-hmm. people want to worship the creation and not the creator. But but in any event, on the positive side, it's it's amazing to get this uh, view of space and some of the things that are out there. Yeah, if whenever i look at the stars in the sky i just pause and and ponder what what's out there it's so big and you have to think about well i guess i think about my purpose like why am i here what am i those types of question and uh, yeah it's wonderful to 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 see that yeah, the universe is so big and there's a purpose behind it and it's wonderful yeah they never look out there and see a, a wall like mm. the end right <laughs> you know that's it it's just it's just space, and it's mm-hmm. out there. And the further they look, the more they can see. And, you know, uh, if you're just thinking about it, say, on the human level, it, it, in a way it's kind of maddening because we can never physically get to those places. Mm-hmm. You can ne- We can never get there. Nine billion light right. years away? I mean, I couldn't even count, you know, some of those numbers <laughs> in my lifetime. Mm. And, and so it can be, I bet it's somewhat maddening for the scientists because they just can't quite get there. But if you understand God's plan for man... He built that universe for a reason. Uh, you know, as it says in the Bible, he didn't make anything in vain. Mm-hmm. It's not just there because. And so you have to understand man's purpose, and then it gets even more exciting. Right. On, on a side note, I remember a, uh, I think it was a tweet by the Flat Earth Society. I guess there's still people who believe that the earth is flat. Anyways, they sent out a tweet, and it was pretty much saying, we have members or participants from all over the globe. <laughs> <laughs> And so this uh this this comment there someone commented and he said read that slowly again. Right. And it was just wow. Yeah, all over the uh, flat surface. Of, there you go. Yeah, they the, should have made that the correction that we're on. That's so funny. Yeah, it's it's surprising that people still believe that but some do. Some guy actually just shot himself up in space in a homemade rocket. <laughs> Not he didn't go all the way up into space, okay. but he he went up pretty high. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what he was trying to prove. I, the only thing he proved is that he could make a rocket, mm-hmm. um, but he was trying to prove that the earth was flat and all this sort of thing. So it's interesting, yeah, that people still think that, even after all the, the evidence that it's mm-hmm. not, yet they some still feel that way. Right. Did that, did that guy land safely? He did, yeah. Okay. He made it <laughs> He made it back. I think he was a little sore, they said, <laughs> but he shot off his rocket somewhere out there in the west in the desert. I, no. I can't remember where that was. And But anyway, that's all I saw about it is that he... <laughs> He survived. So anyway, this is a this is a pretty neat story here about this uh, star, and we have a great book at the Trumpet uh, on uh, the uh, our awesome universe potential. It's got some really fantastic pictures in there of uh, the universe and the Hubble telescope and and other things as well. Uh, one last note uh, for today is uh, about smartphones. Uh, they say that Generation Z is already bored by the internet and their phones, and. Uh, so they say if you look at a young person and they're staring at their phone, you might think they're engaged, but in many cases they're just opening and closing apps over and over again mm-hmm. in boredom. So uh, if you're going to get bored by the Internet, I guess, um, I don't know what, what's left. What else can we do? I guess you can shoot yourself off a rocket. Yeah. Go to space. Make a rocket. <laughs> well, yeah. I can understand this. I mean, uh, if you know you have a day where you're on the Internet more, at some point you just get sick of it. 
Right. But I think it's kind of like watching television to where uh, sometimes you can get sick of doing it, but you don't know what else to do because you're just right. kind of dulled from mm-hmm. it. And and uh, if you've ever had a day like that where you just kind of watch too much TV, it's a bad feeling. Yeah. Um, you can see that in restaurants and everywhere. People are just opening and closing their their apps, and it's sad. Uh, it connects it all with your study that you pointed out, I think, last week, where it says that um, teens or children are unhappier than their less plugged-in peers. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're actually happier disconnected to the Internet or to their smartphones. And the study cites, you cited this a week ago, um, that the happiest teens are using their smartphones less than an hour a day. Right. And even more if they don't use it just for maybe, you know, checking the time or that sort of stuff. Right. So they have a purpose. They go outside and find something fun, do something fun, have a goal in mind. And it's ironic that the solution is to actually cut off the smartphone rather than uh, expose yourself to it more. Right. That's sort of uh, human nature run amok, I guess, is Mm -hmm. like, if we do something and we get a little bit of a kick from it, we think we should just do this all the time. Right. But then we find out, well, I'm bored. It's like eating, you know. But that cake was good. I should eat cake nonstop. Well, right. no, you get sick of it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same with the, the teens and, and looking at their phones. So kind of interesting uh, study there. And, and like you mentioned, it's good to limit that uh, exposure. Uh, that's all the time we have for today on uh, Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for uh, joining us here on this Tuesday. The uh, Trumpet Daily Radio Show is coming up in just a bit, along with the Key of David. Uh, for Gino Chi and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.